0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Rebel. She is a personal finance journalist and author of a new book called How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, Proven Advice from High Achievers on How to Live Your Dreams and Have Financial Freedom. Welcome to the show, Bobby.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan. You get bonus points for not only pronouncing my name correctly, but saying the full, very long title of the book, so (laughs) thank you.
1: (laughs) Very good. For people who are not familiar with it, just give people a bit of your background as you came up through the journalistic world uh, before you wrote this first book.
2: Sure. Well, my very first real journalism experience was as an intern, actually, at CNN, um, working for a number of people that later became very well-known, including Maria Bartiromo. I was on Overnights. She was a producer, and so I kind of paid my dues working for her, uh, writing for her, trying to get clips on CNN. My first job out of college that actually paid money, which is important, I'm sure you'll agree, Jordan, um, was for CNBC, Um, And then I went back to CNN for a little bit, and then I got my on-air break working for a PBS program called The Nightly Business Report, and finally headed over to Reuters, where I was until recently, and that was a great experience. I can't even begin to tell you the incredible things that I was able to do, traveling the world, interviewing countless CEOs and leaders of business. So I've had quite a great run, and now I wrote a book.
1: So, why did you decide to leave Reuters to to uh, write this book?
2: So, I actually wrote the book while I was at Reuters, uh, and then, long story short, I left because the book kind of became an animal unto itself, and I felt that there was so much interest in hearing these stories from headliners, from interesting people, successful people, that I wanted to grow the brand and do more with it and further explore it. So I was at Reuters actually the whole time that I was writing the book. It was very challenging. Reuters was supportive. One of the first things that I did, and this is kind of a life lesson to people, is I got basically the head guy on board, a wonderful man named Steve Adler, who was editor-in-chief of Reuters. I brought him the idea for the book before I did anything. And in fact, he became the first person to be interviewed for the book. So I kind of wrangled him in, got him on board before I started doing it so that everything was on the up and up and Reuters was fully supportive of the idea. And it took quite a while. Once the book came out, though, as I said, it just took on a life of its own and it became too much to manage. So writing the book while having a full-time job was okay, but promoting the book and talking about it, doing workshops with people, keynotes, all that... It just became so much that I had to make the decision last spring to leave Reuters and pursue my own business effectively full time. And now that's morphed into a podcast that I'm launching in a few weeks.
1: (laughs) Now, in addition to writing the book, you've also uh, recently passed the Certified Financial Planner exam. Uh, Why did you decide that was necessary to do?
2: Yes. Actually, we met. During the, I I joked that I was hibernating for a few months and I did a rare public appearance. I was moderating a panel for Nifi and Cebu, and you were there, and, and we connected there. And I was telling you that it was a very intense process to study. The exam is incredibly challenging. Very few journalists, I don't actually, I don't want to say how many take it because people have come up to me since passing and said quietly, you know, congratulations, I failed it. But, you know, good for you, but it's really hard. So I think maybe some people take it, um, but don't talk about it. But it's not something that a lot of journalists do because in in a practical way, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not planning to open up my own financial planning business. For me, though, I did feel that when I got out there with this book, having left Reuters, I was doing these money workshops and I was referencing people in the book and referencing all the experts that I quoted. But people expected me to know the answers myself. And while I did know them, I felt I didn't know them completely. And there really is a difference because you can know, for example, that a 401k is different from an IRA, but you may not understand that if you roll your money from a 401k into an IRA, it may not be as protected from creditors 20 years from now as if, as if you had left it with your original employer in a 401k. So there's a lot of subtle differences in money decisions that I simply wasn't aware of. And by going through the process and studying, I have so much more knowledge and I really feel like I bring value at a different level.
1: So one of the big questions people often ask is how should I find good financial advisors? Having gone through the process yourself, do you think it's something that people should request or or almost require that somebody have a CFP?
2: Jordan, I am so glad you asked that question. I I can't tell people that it needs to be required because, of course, there are plenty of people that know a lot of things, but you should know what your needs are and choose the advisor accordingly. Just like, for example, if you wanted to lose weight, you may be able to succeed by listening to your friend who lost weight by eating, let's say, grapefruits every day for a year, right? It could happen. So if that worked for that person and that's what they did and you follow it and it works for you, that's great. And a lot of people give financial advice because they had success using one method that worked for them. So they paid off X thousand dollars of student debt in this many months and that's great. And it might work for you if your situation is as simple as that and you can follow what they did. That advice is fantastic and that's great. That said, if you are you know, moving through the different stages of life and you need actual financial planning, not a solution for one, you know, isolated problem or challenge, then I think you really do want to be looking for someone that can provide a more complete solution. So what I think of the CFPs as is almost like um, triage doctors where they can look at your total financial picture and figure out what is going on. And they may not complete every final step they might not sell you the insurance they might not actually be the broker investing your stocks but they can give you the overview of what's going on in your financial life and put you on the right path to achieve the goals that are important for you as opposed to someone who just kind of learned a lot and and you know you're getting this exam was hard jordan i mean if you're going to somebody that passed this exam they know their stuff that's that's one thing i will tell you this the cfp board does not mess around and I'm sure you've heard stories about it. It's not easy.
1: Yes. So for finding a financial advisor, C F P is one thing. How do you know that somebody's truly working in your interest as opposed to earning commissions or has conflicted interests one way or the other?
2: Again, another great thing about the C F P is that if they are doing financial planning, that has to be disclosed. And you can ask. You should ask. I mean, at the end of the day, if someone's gonna actually lie to you, then they're you know, that's breaking the law. But in in most cases people don't ask how are you paid right and you may be okay with them getting a commission because maybe you prefer that than paying a fee and it's also important to understand what the terminology means so fee only may not mean you're paying someone a hundred dollars an hour for advice it may mean that they are not on commission per se but they get a percentage of assets under management so it's important to ask and make sure you understand how they're getting paid. And by the way, it is important that they do get paid because as with any service, even the guy renovating your house or a woman helping you with a service that you need, whatever it may be, you don't want to work with somebody that's going to underprice themselves, that's not going to run a responsible business, that is not set up to be successful themselves. So you want to pay them a fair amount of money so that they can succeed in serving you.
1: Now, one of the things that's going through, uh, kind of has gone through, although it may be pulled back a bit, is (laughs) the so-called fiduciary rule, which says that uh, an advisor has to work in the client's interest before their own. It kind of went through the Department of Labor. looks like it's been delayed a little bit. What is your sense of the impact of that fiduciary rule on the relationship between clients and financial planners going forward?
2: Well, first of all, back to the CFPs. If you're a certified financial planner doing financial planning, you are a fiduciary. So that's important for consumers to know to begin with, that you can get that level of comfort with a CFP doing financial planning. And again, it goes back to questions. What I hope will happen out of this, and I hope that you will continue and other members of the media will continue to promote what it means to be a fiduciary, the consumers will be more aware and will ask that because I think that we tend to have an assumption that someone who is has the job title of advisor is advising us and is on our side, but that's not always true. In fact, they're often salespeople, right? So yes. you have to ask, how are you being paid and understand the difference between suitable and in your best interest, and ask them. I understand this is suitable, but is this really in my best interest? I can't predict what will happen with the law, but it—it's di- i, I just—I don't want to say, Jordan. I just don't know. Okay. I, I don't want to make a—I don't want to make a political statement, but maybe you can sense from the tone of my voice. Um, you think we'll it's see, a good idea? I, I, you, you think, think
1: it's think a good it's idea, a, idea? Oh, no. I think
2: it's absolutely. I think it's absolutely a good idea, and I think that if it is—if it is not the law. Consumers need to ask. Just because someone isn't mandated by law to be a fiduciary doesn't mean they cannot be. Yes. Your okay. advisor should be a fiduciary, whether the law requires it or not, because all that means is that your interests go first, which is obvious, right?
1: It Why should be. It hasn't been for a long time. Supposed to put your first? I mean, the rule has been suitability, not fiduciary, so it's a big change from where things have been. And I don't interest. think
2: people understand the difference. There's a yes. big difference. Really big.
1: So you're not going to be a financial planner, but you are going to be doing workshops. What are some of the workshops you're going to be offering, and how can people contact you if they want to find out more about that?
2: So everyone can contact me through my website, com. I also have a secondary one, as you mentioned, called financialgrownup.com. And through that, they can get in touch. And there also is a nice list of the workshops that I am offering. My favorite one, though, Jordan, is the FOMO workshop which is aimed mainly towards young people. And of course, that's fear of missing out. And it talks a lot about how to manage your life when you're young and starting out and you want to do all these things. But sometimes your resources don't line up with what you want to be doing. So I talk a little bit about how to manage that and how to move forward. And then my favorite one that's sort of new is the plus one workshop when baby makes a cost center. Because I think that everyone who has a new child Gets really uh, a rude awakening, not just from their children staying up all night, but from all the different things that come at them financially on all levels, whether it's just the out of pocket spending on stuff that kids need to wait a second, I need insurance. And you probably have less insurance than you need and you have all these other questions you need to have a will you need to have health proxies all these different things that happen when you have true dependence so that's going to be an interesting workshop for 2018 i think i'm excited about it
1: very good we're going to take a break this is jordan goodman of the money answer show my guest this hour is bobby rebel she is a financial journalist and author of a new book called how to be a financial grown-up proven advice from high achievers on how to live live your dreams
3: The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Rebel. She's a financial journalist and author of a new book called How to Be a Financial Grown Up Proven Advice from High Achievers on How to Live Your Dreams and have financial freedom. You can find out more about her at her website, bobbyrebell.com, which is spelled B-O-B-B-I. Welcome back to the show, Bobby.
2: Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me.
1: So just tell us the format of the book before we get into some of the the content and and how you kind of came up with a specific format for this book.
2: So my original idea was to have celebrity business people as lead-ins to each chapter, and what happened was I reached out to them, and I asked everybody two basic questions, basically tell me a money story, I I call them their financial grown-up moment, which is the time that they, sort of their aha moment about money, the time that they started paying attention, and then I said, share some kind of lesson for my readers, and the stories started coming in, Jordan, they were phenomenal, they ranged, I mean, I remember, I got, I literally got an email from Sally Krawcheck in the middle of the night, And I I read it and I said to my husband, I think she emailed me by accident because she can't possibly want me to print this because it was so personal and so raw and a little bit racy even. (laughs) So people really brought it. I was kind of shocked that these people were so candid with the stories, but the stories basically took over the book. And so So I ended up, I thought I was going to have eight to 10 stories. I had 30 stories.
1: So we'll go into some of the stories in detail, but. Let just what are people supposed to take from it in learning about other famous people's financial grown-up moments?
2: Well, first of all, relatability, because these are people that are incredibly successful. Everyone from Kevin O'Leary, who people know from Shark Tank, designer Cynthia Rowley. Drew Barrymore, very successful actress. I went after, I interviewed her by chance, actually. She was in an event, so it was unplanned. She was so gracious. Afterwards, I went and read her book, and A Wildflower, it's called, which was phenomenal. Highly recommend it. And I was blown away by her business accomplishments. And people don't really think about that, that many of these successful, especially in this moment, we're talking about post-Golden Globes, we're talking about actresses and the show business. People like Drew Barrymore have set up their own production companies to take control over their future and their business. So the depth of the people in the book and how much they've accomplished is so inspiring. And we make assumptions about their background and the head start that we perceive that they got. But when you really read these stories, and in some cases learn more about the people, you realize that these assumptions are often wrong. Drew Barrymore, for all of our perceptions, was the child of a single mother. She had no money growing up. She was supporting her mother. She was, I think emancipated by 14 or 16, very young age. I can't even conceive of it. I have an 18 year old stepson. I cannot imagine him being on his own. She was holding down the fort at that point. The inner strength that, that some of these people had is just incredible. And to go and not only have this acting comeback years after ET, but then to build multiple businesses not just her film production company but she has a makeup business that's i think the biggest makeup line at walmart these days so it's so impressive tony robbins we just see him up there this inspiring incredible person he came from nothing less than nothing the guy was working as a janitor and that was good for him compared to what happened before that what they've accomplished is so incredible so getting a little window into their thinking and their lives and their values was amazing, and so I'm I'm to, really uh, proud of of the fact that they were able to share so much. It was it's it's actually a very special book, Jordan.
1: I agree. So let's go <laughs> to some specific uh, ones and just kind of give us a kernel of what kind of came from their experience. And let's start with Ivanka Trump.
2: Yes. Yeah, so this was interesting. Um, I get a lot of questions about Ivanka Trump, and it's I will tell you a little sort of just-between-us backstory that I had not wanted to have any, and there is no politics in the book, by the way. This is a completely nonpartisan book. As you know, books take a very long time to write. Ivanka Trump was the first major person to, major well-known person to sign on. Uh, My boss was the first one, Steve Adler. And she came, she was a friend of a friend. The friend is a Democratic strategist. And she knew Ivanka through philanthropic, causes and she made an introduction and Ivanka wrote me a lovely email and just said, how can I help? What a great, great idea for a book. How can I help? So that is how she ended up in the book. I specifically avoided anyone that I thought would be political. So that's life's irony. I do believe her story is a fantastic one and what it basically tells you, it gives you a window into the life of a very wealthy young woman with a mother and the story is about Ivanka and her mother. Her father's not in the book, really, and how her mother raised her children to be motivated to earn their own money. And while, of course, she had, I mean, to say she had a head start is certainly an understatement. Ivanka Trump, before her father got into politics, certainly was proactive in creating her own brand and her own business. Again, many head starts, but so do a lot of people and a lot of her peer group. Did did not accomplish what she did. There's a lot of rich kids out there. And she went and decided to put herself out there, risk failure in terms of clothing lines, jewelry lines, all these kinds of things, and go for it. And I think when you read the book, you understand at least a kernel of where that drive came from because you see her mother not giving her at age 14 what the 14-year-old Ivanka Trump wanted. And saying to her, no, you need to earn your own money if you you want this.
1: So that's really the message is self-reliance and not just silver spoon in the mouth, even if you've got a lot of money.
2: Exactly, exactly. Her parents could have bought her everything and they chose to instill in her the values that she is expected to work. And I don't think anyone would dispute that she works. People may not agree with her politics or what she's done, whatever, but that woman works. She, She absolutely works.
1: Let's go to Kevin O'Leary. You mentioned him briefly. He's the guy on um, Shark, Shark Tank, who's also a well-known yes. entrepreneur. What are some of the, the kernels from, from your um, interview with him?
2: Kevin's wonderful. I actually had the privilege at Reuters to interview him a number of times because he has some financial products that he likes to talk about, and he has very candid views about the stock market. What I love about Kevin is even when the market's down, he will come on and be extremely candid about what he's buying and really give the information to the viewers. And he was very candid in the story that he shared, and it has to do with his stepfather and the advice his stepfather gave him. He was very interested in both being a guitar player and he was very interested in photography, and he didn't really want to go to school. And his stepfather basically said to him, yeah, that's great, but you know that's not going to pay the bills, so you need to earn money. And Kevin agreed with that and decided that his focus was going to be on earning money and that by earning the money, and this is the key lesson here, by earning the money, he would then have the means to follow his passion. And if you do some web searching, first of all, Well, I'll tell you the address, Kevin O'Leary Photography. You can buy his photos, and I believe the money goes to charity. And you'll also see him often playing musical instruments, including guitars, because that's what he's passionate about. So he's got the money. He loves earning money. But he's a very good photographer, and he also uh, is very musically inclined. So he was able to do everything.
1: The message in his case is make money first, and then it allows you to – uh, you know, fund your passion basically, as opposed to exactly.
2: In other words, don't assume passion, your passion,
1: and then you'll never have the have no money to survive. Basically,
2: right. It's not that you shouldn't follow your passion; it's that your passion doesn't have to be your income.
1: Yes, indeed. and
2: sometimes that message gets lost. Some passions are not financially lucrative. That doesn't mean they're not valuable, and you should not enjoy them. You just may have to find a different way to earn money.
1: Then you have an interview with Heather Thompson, who's the CEO of Yummy Tummy a star. <laughs> Real Housewives of New York. Uh, what was the colonel? Yes. Although that? she's
2: not on the show anymore, um, I really I thought she was always the smart one. I did not meet her in person, but I think so highly of this woman. She really built a great business with Yummy Tummy. Um, basically, her business. Her don't get into credit card debt. It's a classic, but it's a goodie. She just took out tons of credit cards and racked up the debt. Her freshman year in college, she didn't understand about interest rates, late fees. Whatever. She got into trouble. It was a reality check for the reality star, as they say. And she learned, I mean, in her lesson, she talks about the fact that there is no such thing as free money and that every time you pay, it could be, I think she says, she uses the word lethal. Um, you really have to read the fine print and use the credit card. This is her final lesson. Use the credit card to build credit, not for credit.
1: And then you have an interview with Tim Chen, who is the CEO of Nerd Wallet about finding the best deals in credit cards? What what was the kernel of his interview?
2: Well, what I love about this is the honesty of it and the reality of the fact that we are in a world where you can be truly overwhelmed with information and that the more, you would think we would have an easier time, Jordan, making decisions, but sometimes having too much information can be overwhelming. I remember I actually visited Russia quite a, probably two decades ago, but a woman was telling me that she found the U.S. overwhelming when she came here because there were too many choices in the grocery store, and she didn't like it. In other words, she says, "I'd rather have three choices for cereal. Why do Why do we need forty? We're Americans. We're used to that. But Tim's basic point is that we need a better We need a better way to get through understanding this information and deciphering information. It's a lot,
1: and that's the business he formed at Nerd Wallet. Basically. Yes, how should pick the best credit card? Yes,
2: and some of the some of the people in the book do do talk about how personal experiences inspired their career paths, which is really a great thing to read about.
1: So next we go to Cynthia Rowley, the fashion designer. What did you learn from her?
2: So this is about always being ready for your big break and the classic fake it till you make it. She was kind of discovered unexpectedly and had to pull together a clothing line for a big store buyer Basically, immediately, and she knew nothing. I mean, I think she said she brought over the samples in her competitors' bags. I mean, crazy stuff, but she stuck to it and she rose to the occasion. And sometimes your big break comes before you're ready, but you got to get ready. And she did. And I think that's a great lesson as well.
1: And then you interviewed Charles Best of uh, the CEO of DonorsChoose.org. What did you learn from him?
2: He is wonderful. Yes. And actually we did um, a joint fundraising with DonorsChoose when we launched the book. So that was great. We were able to fund a number of classrooms. Um, You know, he talks about having a desire to do, I think it was fly fishing. It was some kind of fishing. I don't have that right in front of me, but it was a great story. Very honest, very, very Charles, I have to say. And, how what you enjoy doing isn't necessarily going to make you money. It's, it's somewhat similar to Kevin's story, but how you know even being a soccer coach that's going to make more money than doing necessarily what you love. What he did though is he you know, he, he tested businesses. Though so it's okay to try a business, test it, see that it's not working, and move on.
1: So sometimes you just can't stick with it if it's not working. Because a lot of people exactly. probably do that.
2: Sometimes people stay with an idea too long if it's not working. It's good to try things, but it's hard to hear that something that you are so passionate about, others may not value enough for you to make enough money from. A lot of businesses kind of limp along. You don't want to believe what the
1: the market is telling you in
2: effect is what you're saying. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, Jordan, though. I mean, these are people's dreams, so it's hard. It is. But again, hobbies. Hobbies are okay, too. All right, so we're going to take another
1: break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bobby Rebel. Uh, she is the author of a new book called "How to Be a Financial Grown-Up: Proven Advice from High Achievers on How to Live Your Dreams and Have Financial Freedom." You can find out more about her and her book and her seminars at BobbyRebel.com. We'll be back after this. A famous personal finance journalist and author of a new book called How to Be a Financial Grown Up. She also got her CFP uh, certification recently. Welcome back to the show, Bobby.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: So, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different personal finance topics. And let's start with Equifax and ID theft. And what has been your reaction to that whole situation? And how could people protect their identities? in this world where your basic information is now out there on the dark web through Equifax?
2: My reaction is despair. The only way to really protect yourself to have a shot is to freeze your credit. I think that's the most important thing to do. But, of course, you can't always do that if you have a financial transaction coming up. What's most scary about this, Jordan, is that in the past, while it was in no way the consumer's fault, it was often something like the target breach where you can say, okay, I chose to be a target consumer and this is what happened. Or I chose to have a Yahoo email and this is what happened. But in this case, people did not choose to have a credit. I mean, I guess you do at some point choose to have a credit score, but you, you, you if you want to function as an adult in our society, you have to have a credit score. You, these These credit agencies have your information. So it's not something where you opted in at some point. You're in, whether you like it or not. They have right. your data. So right. there were, And again, not saying that you opted in and you were purposefully and proactively risking your, your, your information security by being, say, a target customer. But there was at least some choice involved. There is no choice involved in this. And to my knowledge, this is the first time something happened where you never engaged proactively with this organization. They had your information and they blew it.
1: And the information and, they have and, that, that got out can't be changed. Your uh, birth date, right. your mother's maiden name, you know where you live, uh, all those kind of things, social security number, these are things that can't be changed, and that's now out there. So should people exactly. really be on guard? I mean, they, yes. the criminals don't have to use it right away. They could use it five that's, years from now.
2: That's exactly what I was about to say, Jordan. This is why you're so good at your job. <laughs> no, that's the most, the, the the really scariest thing, and what I was about to get to, is that We're all paying attention to this now. So this is still top of mind. It happened in the fall. We're talking about it. So they can lay low. And, you know, I can freeze my credit and then I have to open it up again. Maybe I'm going to refinance something, whatever. I want to take out a credit card. I unfreeze it. They're waiting. They're out there waiting. And they could be lurking for who knows how long. And we could be reassured by these agencies (laughs) that we're good. But I don't know. Is there trust there anymore? Should there be trust? It's it's scary. I don't I don't know. And and I've I've read a lot about, you know, should we be using our social security numbers for so many things more than they were originally intentioned for? But no one's come up with a better system.
1: So do you recommend so, a credit monitoring service or what, what if other than freezing your credit, which only I think lasts ninety days, what can you do to protect yourself I think you against can, Well
2: I think you can freeze your credit longer, actually, Jordan. I think you I think
1: can. you have to keep no. renewing it, is what it comes down Maybe. to. Okay. Yeah. So,
2: okay, but I, I think that that's a personal decision whether you want to pay for a credit monitoring service. You can certainly, as you know, get your credit reports, um, you know, once a year, but you can stagger them with the three agencies so you can do it three times a year effectively. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You just got to stay on top of it and, and understand the difference between credit monitoring and credit freezing. Credit freezing means people can't take out credit in your name. Credit monitoring is just watching. People could still do a lot of damage. You're not stopping anything. Yeah. It's really scary.
1: Next topic is the tax bill. Now, we're not getting into great detail of it, but what is the impact of this on how people should think about taxes? A lot of people are not going to itemize anymore because the standard deduction has been doubled. Uh, Things that were deductible in the past, like uh, state income taxes and property taxes, are limited sharply. What is your general advice on how people should react to this tax bill?
2: Jordan, I think this is going to be the biggest story of 2018 is interpreting this tax bill because there is no one answer. There are so many variables. And originally, what's interesting is this was originally, they promised this would be on a postcard, right? We were all going to send in our taxes, one line. And, at, and in some cases, as you mentioned, look, the standard deduction has gotten much higher, but the exemptions are gone, as I understand it. So that is a big change as well for people that have very simple filings. There are, I mean, this when you talk about the difference in the state and local taxes and deductibility changes and property taxes, because those will also um, impact the housing market because you may see a shift in where people want to live because their taxes that were already high in a high tax area are now going to be impacting them even more. So it will affect housing prices. It will affect people's decision to rent versus buy because mortgage deductibility has changed. Now, not as much as people had thought. You used to be able to deduct effectively $1.1 $1. $1 million. It really was a million for the mortgage and then another hundred thousand dollars for home equity. The home equity is gone and the deductibility went from a million to seven hundred and fifty thousand starting on December fifteenth. So that may change how much people want to mortgage because they don't get that deductibility even if sometimes, Jordan, these things are psychological. People might have before said, oh hey, a million dollars is what I can deduct in terms of the mortgage to have your interest deducted. Maybe now it's only 750 Maybe that's the number they go in and say that's our top amount that we're willing to mortgage. So We have to watch and see how this plays out, but because different things matter to different people, there are going to be so many iterations of this story. It's interesting, fascinating, upsetting. There's going to be a lot of emotion come, you know, April of 2019 when people are really filling out their 2018 taxes.
1: Absolutely. Very good. So another thing is credit card debt. Now, a lot of people, we've had record amounts of credit card debt. If you have a lot of credit card debt at high interest rates, would you recommend people do nonprofit credit counseling or debt settlement or surf their cards from one to another? What advice would you give to somebody who's got a lot of credit card debt?
2: Well, those, those are all really good ideas. I, again, I think it depends on where you think the problem is coming from. If you think that you're just spending too much, you have no idea what's going on, and you're completely confused, of course, credit counseling could be really effective. If you are in a situation where you are never going to be able to pay, to pay this down and you think that you can get some kind of um, debt settlement and move on with your life rather than, say, declare bankruptcy, if you're kind of at, on the edge at that extreme level – go for it. Absolutely try. But I think for most people, you have to really try to pay it down. I mean, that's really the best thing, the most honest thing to do. I'm not a big fan of not paying your debts. You did the damage, you should pay it off. So you're then looking for the best solution for you. And you have to look at your income flow and what you can realistically do. A lot of financial experts will kind of, I don't know if yell at people is the right word, but they'll say, do the snowball, do the avalanche, do this, do that. In terms of those, I do think paying off the highest interest rate is always the best because that's the most financially savvy. It just makes it's the math that's better on that. Motivation wise, some people like to do the snowball where you're paying off the smallest ones first, um, the smallest balances first. But I do think if you can't realistically be paying it down in a very quick way, it is worth looking into consolidating your debt into something like a home equity loan where instead of paying more than twenty percent to a credit card and being honest, you're not gonna pay it off imminently, right?
1: Even though it's not Move deductible it anymore. It's still a lower. It's not, interest but it's
2: still I mean, yeah. what if you're paying even eighteen percent and your home equity? I just got a pitch to take out a home equity for two point nine nine percent. So I'd rather have the two point nine nine percent if I'm gonna if People, you know, we have these ideas. Oh, we're going to pay it off. I'm going to pound it down. There's so many YouTube videos and bloggers. I paid off this amount in this record time, which is great. They sat in their parents' apartment and they ate ramen and they didn't go out for X months and they did it. And that's not always realistic for people that may have other financial obligations that have to do with dependence, with overhead that they can't necessarily trim or don't want to trim so you may have that debt for longer than you would like to and if you don't have a plan to pay it off within let's say a few months absolutely look into home equity loans home equity lines of credit HELOCs, and look into even moving it to a zero interest credit card because that can often buy you more than a year yeah and why not
1: well there is a fee often when you do a zero percent bounce there are some with no
2: there are some with no fees
1: most of them have 3 or 4% fees, but there are some, you're right. But so there that, are some. Right.
2: Find the one without the fee. Negotiate, Absolutely. be an advocate for yourself. Find the one with no fee. Or do the math. If there's one with a fee, figure out the math. And, and I think the most important thing is that, you know, it's almost like, back to the food analogies, with dieting. I mean, you might say, oh yeah, I'm going to lose 10 pounds by, you know, my high school reunion. But you're really not. So you really should have a better long-term plan. So You may not realistically be able to pay off that debt in a reasonable time frame. Take a step back, be honest with yourself, and find an actual solution instead of just hoping it gets better.
1: Now, another really hot topic these days is cryptocurrencies. (laughs) Uh, What do you think of people who are speculating in Bitcoin and Ripple and Ethereum and all these different coins? Uh, Is this going to end well?
2: Jordan, I almost want to play the fifth on this one because I feel like I feel like you're going to play its tape back of this in 5, 10, 15 years. And I'm going to be so wrong no matter what I say.
1: Well, give it a shot. I
2: don't know. Um, I just You've had lots
1: of experience I, in the investment markets. <laughs> maybe, maybe never seen anything this hot. But, you know, what is your – is, is I this a real to buy changing – I,
2: I think I'm too old to buy into this. i I'm skeptical. Then again, I could be wrong. So I think that if people are, if people want to invest, go for it. You know, just go in with your eyes wide open, and hopefully you won't be the last one holding the bag. But like I said, who knows where we'll be years from now? I think a lot of us were skeptical about many things that we take for granted. I know my son thinks it's complete. I have a ten-year-old. He thinks it's completely weird that we could not pause the television.
1: Uh, Yes. yes. So
2: I've been proven wrong. Cryptocurrency? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think it's going to be for real. And we're we're not going to have a thousand cryptocurrencies, but I think the concept of it remains. And to some extent, it's like the new gold. I mean, people are putting money that they used to put in the gold into Bitcoin and Ethereum and so on. And there's, I mean, just to give you some numbers recently, there's been 100,000 people a day opening new uh, accounts at like Coinbase, places like that. 100,000 a day. Wow. Coinbase added 13 million accounts last year. So the demand is just staggering. And some of it's for use and some of it's for speculation. But I just don't think this is a bubble that's going to disappear the way a lot of people think. So
2: You say gold, not tulips.
1: Yeah. I mean, tulips did not have any real purpose. Cryptocurrencies actually do have real purposes, which is that people are making transactions on them. You You can now go to McDonald's and buy things with Bitcoin. And it's going to be more. People are buying homes. Uh, apparently, people in India are taking dowries in Bitcoin, for example <laughs> it, it's, it's like a
2: perfect co- perfect convergence of old and new.
1: It is, it is indeed. So we'll have to see, but uh, I, I at least want to get your your point of view on that. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. I'm with financial expert Bobby Rebel. Her book is called "How to Be a Financial Grown Up," and you can find out more about her and her seminars at her website BobbyRebel.com. spelled bOBBI. We'll be back after this.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America- Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to
0: The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Rebel, personal financial journalist for many years, uh, author of a new book called "How to Be a Financial Grown Up," and Bobby, apparently, you have a podcast coming out. Tell us about that and how people can find out about it.
2: I do. People should check it out on iTunes right now. They can see a sneak peek pilot episode featuring author David Bach. Just search on iTunes for "Financial Grown Up" or you can search for just for Bobby Rebel. Rebel spelled R-E-B-E-L-L. And check it out, subscribe, download, and most importantly, tell me what you like and what you maybe what you don't like, but also who you want to see on the show besides Jordan, who I've already roped into coming on soon.
1: <laughs> okay, very good. All right, some other topics here. Uh, health insurance. So part of the tax law was getting rid of the mandate so people don't have to buy health insurance anymore. How do you think that's going to affect the health insurance market going forward?
2: Well, I think it's very clear it's going to become a lot more expensive because what is effectively going to happen, Jordan, is that a lot of people that are younger and healthier will choose to take their chances, as is human nature and as is the natural way that was happening before we had the mandate. So it will most likely get much more expensive unless measures are taken to avoid that. And I don't know what those measures could be. Obviously, the government in the past has subsidized People that could not afford insurance. It remains to be seen what will happen with the Trump administration and how it will evolve. Only that we know, excuse me, we know they want to move against, away from Obamacare.
1: So, is there some alternative healthcare system you think they may come up that's more private market oriented that would replace the existing Obamacare system?
2: Well, they haven't succeeded in that so far. So, I think right now they're very focused on the tax plan and the success in getting that passed they failed in their initial attempt to really overhaul the health care plan and remember in theory the republicans did have 8 years to think about it so i don't know that they have a plan in their back pocket we'll see for now they're claiming victory in the fact that they removed this mandate but it's 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 anyone's guess um, it's a tough situation and in the short term is- people
1: should expect premiums to go up
2: oh absolutely
1: the pool- of people is going to shrink. For the people who don't buy health insurance, they don't have demand mandate anymore. The remaining people will be older and sicker, driving up premiums. Yes. And there'll be fewer people subsidizing them. Think of it that way. Is that right, what you're
0: saying? I,
2: I I agree with you, Jordan. And I but I do want to point out some things that it seems like they will likely linger from Obamacare that we now take for granted as part of our culture, but we're not, and they were not part of our system until recently for example i have a 21 year old stepdaughter and she can now stay on my family health insurance until 26 that was not the case until recently so yes. what the, and and to my knowledge that's not really on the table that's not something that people are really pushing against they were as they were with the mandate right so right. this is an interesting shift in our economy because what it does is you have all these young people that are coming out of college that won't feel the pressure that you and I did to get a job with health insurance. So what will this mean? Well, it could mean on the positive side, they have more freedom to be entrepreneurs, to think of their own businesses, to do different things, to travel the world, because they're not worried about having health insurance. On the other hand, this also doesn't give them the safety net that they might have had if they were had more pressure to go to a corporate job. So they'll roll off, they'll already be 26, um, and it gives companies... A reason to not insure young people it kind of offloads them I don't know if I'm expressing that correctly but it's it's really people this little thing that people don't talk about that seems to be as permanent as things are will have a big economic impact because people under 26 in so many cases will simply stay on their parents health insurance And, and that can be good and and bad I think overall it's good though
1: so also talking about younger people, uh, let's talk about student loan debt. So it's ballooned to about $1.4 trillion. It's overwhelming people's ability to kind of get out on their own. What do you recommend to people who've taken on a student loan? You know, huge burden. Should they refinance it? What should they do if they've got a, a lot of student loans?
2: It depends what you define as a lot. But if it feels like a lot, the first thing you should do is understand the loan that you took out. I am shocked at how many people sign up for loans and don't read the terms. They just say, I got into this school, I'm being offered this money, and I'm going to take it. And in some cases, at some of my seminars, people have confessed to me that they didn't understand that it was a loan, not a grant. So they were spending money on a loan, maybe on incidentals, on personal expenses, on just kind of partying with their friends, not understanding that. All of this money had to be paid back. It wasn't a grant. So you have to go literally get granular and go into your loan documents and understand the terms of your loan and what it's going to cost you if you pay it off at what may be a very slow pace, you know, if you do the minimum requirements. Think about what you want to do. Think about your priorities. You may want to pay it down immediately and just do the whole thing where you live at home and eat the ramen noodles and just pound it away, ASAP. Or you might say, well, I have other things that are more important to me. I'm going to consolidate it, refinance it, create a much more manageable debt load. So my monthly payments are much lower. But I'm going to go do something else for a while. Or I want to make it a payment that's lower so I can start my retirement savings in my 20s. Because I know realistically, again, going back to being realistic about what you can pay, I'm not going to pay this off so quickly. And I don't want to say I'm going to pay it off by age 35 and then start my retirement funding. I'm going to pay it off maybe by a little bit later but i'm going to be putting money into the stock market into my retirement fund all at age not all but you know at age 22 and kind of split where my money is going
1: yeah it really has changed society though people who didn't in previous generations didn't have close to amount of uh, much debt to to deal with here all All right right, and a lot of it has
2: to do with the schools right and and the tuition Let's,
1: let's go to another topic which is uh, where people should be saving, if they put their money in the bank today, CDs, savings accounts, money market funds, they're getting pretty much zero or certainly under yeah. 1%. So Rates what are still people, low. And they're going to stay that way for a long time. What should people do with their money when they don't want to take the risk of the stock market if they want to earn decent yields but not take a lot of risk?
2: Well, that's the magic question, isn't it, Jordan?
1: That's why you answer these things.
2: Exactly. Um, I think, again, everyone has to look at what is best for them and where their priorities are. Diversification is such a cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. So you have to look at your personal goals, sketch out your timeline. And if you have a long timeline, very often stocks are the best place to put your money. So maybe rethink that, but also be diverse. A lot of my net worth is in my home. I'm very happy with that. I have had a good investment in a New York City apartment, something I talk about in my book. It started with a studio apartment and has grown. Now I have a three bedroom apartment with my family and obviously my husband also contributes. So I think real estate is always a good place if you want to be conservative, but you're not going to get the growth that you get historically with the stock market. So if someone's hesitant to invest in stocks, I would suggest that they rethink it and make the decision that's right for them. But Historically, you're really not going to get a better return than the stock market. Diversify, of course. You should put some money into fixed income, maybe into commodity funds. The other thing I do want to mention, though, Jordan, that's important is people should understand the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF. And we don't have time to get into the details there, but basically an ETF is an exchange-traded fund. You can trade in and out of it within the day it is often more tax-friendly because of the way that they are set up and the way that the accounting is done versus a mutual fund may often have more fees, not always, but more fees may not be as tax-friendly because of the way the accounting is done when, when they sell something. You may buy a mutual fund at a bad time relative to what the manager is doing in terms of managing the different stocks within the mutual fund. So you can really get a tax burden when you didn't get the benefit. So you need to be really careful with mutual funds, understand what you're buying, understand the fees involved, because those fees can take a big chunk out of your returns, and in many cases, an ETF might be something better to consider.
1: In summing up, what difference would it make in people's life if they follow the advice that you have in your book, How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, and learn from all the people you spoke to?
2: Hopefully, they'll be more at peace with the financial decisions that they make for themselves, and I stress the decisions that they make for themselves Part of being a grown-up is going out, getting the information, and then owning it and making your own decisions and having the focus and discipline to follow through on things. So much in life is about following up and achieving what your dreams are because you made the effort. Someone joked with me once that they said, Well, you're a finisher because you, you seem to finish everything. You you said you were gonna write this book even though you were working full time and had three kids at home because I have my two stepkids and a husband and a dog and all this stuff. And you finished the book and you said you were gonna go do the, become a CFP and you finished that. I would encourage people to be finishers. You know, set a goal, tell people out loud what you're gonna do and finish it. Whatever that may be. And hopefully that will have give you more financial freedom and more happiness in life to enjoy other things that are a lot more important than money.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Bobby Rebell. Her book is called How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, Proven Advice from High Achievers on How to Live Your Dreams and Have Financial Freedom, where she interviews 30 of the most interesting people out there. Uh, her website is Bobbyrebell.com where you can find out more about her podcast, her new podcast coming at iTunes as well. Uh, and she does websites. Uh, she she does uh, seminars as well And she discussed. Uh, so thanks so much. You've been a fascinating guest, Bobby.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. And I look forward to having you on the Financial grow Up podcast.
1: Very good. Thanks so much. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show.
0: Goodbye for now.